Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us. Now what I want to do for a few minutes is examine our reading in Mark chapter 10. It's page 846 in the Pew Bible if you want to follow along. You've heard me give you the exhortation of the liturgy of baptism. We are in no doubt that our Savior Christ loves Molly Sewell and approves of bringing her to baptism. So in order to understand the fullness of what Mark's gospel tells us, I want us to examine these verses together. First, in verse 13, the motivation that's underway here. Then I want us to understand the reason that Jesus rebukes the disciples in verses 14 and 15. And then what is Jesus actually doing when he blesses the children in verse 16? So to begin, let's look at verse 13. They were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. I want you to notice the they in verse 13. Now it's clear, isn't it, that they did not come on their own. They were brought by whom? Well, by their parents. Their parents brought them to Jesus. Now, what is the parent's motivation here? Well, the first one is a principle in the scriptures, a covenant that God made with Abraham and was confirmed by Moses at Mount Sinai. It's a very simple principle, but a difficult, a challenging one for parents to fulfill. And that is, it is the responsibility of the parents to teach their children the good news of the gospel, that God saves his people. You see, parents are to guarantee that the details, the knowledge of who God is and what he has done to save his people is passed down to their children. You find it many places in the Old Testament. The believing father or mother is to teach their children the good news of what God has done for them. So what are they to teach them? And this is the second principle from the scriptures. That God is the loving ruler of the world. That he made the world and he made us rulers of the world under him. And they will teach them that the world now is not how God made it. That in our first parents, we rejected God's rule. And so, as their offering, we all, by nature, reject God in the same way, trying to rule our lives in our own way without him. And so we fail in this goal, and so ruin our society and the world around us. And they are to teach their children that God will not let this go on forever, but that one day he will judge us all according to his word. They would teach them that there was a foreshadowing of that judgment 
in the story of Noah. They would underline the reason for the judgment that's in Genesis 6, that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention and thought of their heart was continually toward evil. But just at that point, when the children might pull the covers up over their head in fear, their mom and dad would comfort them and say, that's not all the scripture has to say. That God in his mercy always gathers a remnant. He gathers a people who call upon his name and trust in him. Noah and his family were such a remnant. Their ancestors in Abraham were also a remnant. And because of his love and mercy, God made a promise to Abraham that he would not leave things as they are. But in the seed of Abraham would be the bearer of good news. And so God gathered a nation, rescued them in the leadership of Moses, gave them the promised land with a purpose, to be a light to the world, to show them the way of the Lord. But they preferred to turn to their old ways and reject God. So God sent them prophets to warn them of their folly and their disobedience and to tell them that he would still keep his promise. So the children would be on the edge of their beds by now, wanting to know how God was going to do this. And so the parents would tell them that God will send one faithful Israelite who would obey him. And this faithful Israelite will carry the message of God's salvation and be the agent of that very same salvation. And then they would show them what the prophet Isaiah said. How did he do this? He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. And so the children would learn that this faithful Israelite was called God's anointed, his chosen one, his Messiah, his Christ in the Greek. And that was the Old Testament story. Now, why was it so important for these parents to carry out and tell them exactly what the Old Testament said? Well, it was God's command to do so. They knew that the knowledge could be lost, that it was easily corrupted. They knew the story that there was a remnant, but many fell away. They knew that there were only two ways to live, God's way or their way. And the Old Testament scriptures in their histories recounted the failure of their people time and time again. Now the thing is for us today is that's still the same, isn't it? Most Americans will say they believe in God, but is he the God of the scriptures? Well, he isn't really, is he? Most people have a view of the reason for our condition today, but is it what the scriptures explain it to be? Well, it's not. And most people will say they acknowledge Jesus, but do they acknowledge and accept what the Bible actually says who he is and why he came? And you'll find that they do not. You see, just like those old Israelites... We may know many Bible stories, but do we know the Bible's entire story? 
do we know that God promised a Redeemer, a Savior for all of us? So we can see why these parents had this great motivation to bring their children to Jesus. First, they were faithful to what God commanded. And second, they wanted them to know that God was going to keep his promise. And that here he is, right now in front of them. But what about Jesus? Why did he react the way he did in rebuking the disciples? Well, he wants to underline the nature of the children's trust here. And that's what follows next. It says this, But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now I want you to make sure that you understand the importance of Jesus' reason for rebuking his disciples. And we know it's important because he uses that phrase, Truly I say to you. He only used that when he gave a specific command with his authority as the Messiah. So all the disciples stopped what they were doing and looked and listened to what the Messiah was going to tell them. Now we also need to be clear here about the nature of the children in front of him. Because we've had about a century of a Hallmark card culture that emphasizes the innocence or spontaneity of children. Well, anyone who's had a two-year-old know that no child is innocent, right? Yes. Now, it's often assumed that Jesus says these things as if we are meant to be innocent or spontaneous like a child. But that's not the reason why he rebukes the disciples this way. His emphasis is on the children themselves. In other words, not because of anything within them, but because of what they lack. You see, they come only as they are. Small, powerless, overlooked, forgotten by the adults. What Jesus means is this. To receive the kingdom of God like a child is to receive it as one who has no claim, no credit, no power, nothing to give, nothing to bring. You see, whatever a child receives, he receives by our grace, our mercy, our love to them because they're so helpless. You see, little children teach us adults that the only way to come to Jesus is with empty hands. That's how we come to Jesus to receive his salvation. We come with empty hands, no conditions. But here's the wonderful thing. Empty hands can be filled. The Anglican Thomas Watson said it like this. God pours golden oil of mercy into an empty vessel to be filled by God We must be emptied of all our conditions, all the false opinions that we have of our own worthiness. And that's where Mark takes us next in Jesus' actions in his blessing in verse 16. 
I love how he did this. He took them in his arms. Can you just imagine Jesus gathering them up and bringing them close to him, and he blesses them, laying his hands on them? Now, we've already talked about how the parents brought them to Jesus because they realized, here he is. This is the one, the Messiah, the faithful Israelite. They understood the Old Testament scriptures. They've been faithfully teaching their children these things. And they realized from those scriptures, seeing their people fail and fail again, that the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. They knew their prophets. How Isaiah said this, The people draw near me with their mouth, honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. And the prophet Jeremiah said this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so they looked to Jesus as the way out of their trouble, that somehow he would save them. But do you notice how the trust the parents had and the children had are fulfilled in what Jesus did? He didn't just touch them, did he? He blessed them, laying his hands on them, it says. Now, why did he do that? It's a very specific gesture from the Old Testament that every parent there would have gasped with surprise. Because the parents knew what he was doing. He was giving them the blessing of his inheritance. It was a very specific matter that the wealth of the father is passed to the children, all of his assets, everything, in a specific action of blessing. Noah blessed his sons. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Jacob blessed his sons and grandsons. David blessed Solomon all in that exact same way. It was serious. It was irrevocable because you passed on your name and your possessions to the recipient. It's rather like modern adoption today. You go into the court, an an orphan, and you come out a member of someone's family. You've been adopted. Your name has changed. Your life has changed forever. And whatever the wealth and prosperity of the family is shared with you as a true son and a true daughter. So Jesus gives these children this tremendous blessing. His inheritance is given to these children because they trusted in him. But what did Jesus give them? Well, the Old Testament told them what he gave them. Because of the rebellion, there was judgment at the end. And so Jesus lived this life in perfect obedience. But then he died on the cross. But why did he die? He died because he took our place. And he took our punishment. And he did so in such a way that he could exhaust fully the full effect of that punishment for every single human being on earth. And that's how he brought all of us into a total and complete forgiveness. But that's not all. In order to prove the debt was paid, God raised Jesus to life again. 
he became the restored ruler of the world. And so all who find their inheritance in him join him as rulers as well, just like at the beginning. We fulfill our purpose in God. But that's not all as well, because it doesn't end there. We gain eternal life in him. That was the promise that God gave to Eve when he said that from your seed will come one that will crush the serpent, the deceiver's head. That's why he gave the promise to Abraham, saying through your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And this promise is still fulfilled today in the message of the church, in the gospel. That's why we come together in the same way they did on the first day of Pentecost when Peter told the huge crowd who had just come to Christ, for the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so, my dear friends, what we make in the sign of baptism today for Molly is to confess that what Drew and Alyssa have received in eternal life by trusting Jesus Christ, they now claim for another member of their family, just as they did for Joshua and just as they did for Riley. With her baptism, she receives the sign of Christ the inheritance of Christ. She becomes a child of the covenant promise, an heir of the covenant inheritance that our Savior Christ bestows on all who trust in him. And in the same way, as those faithful parents brought their children to Jesus so long ago, Jared and Kate and Alyssa and Drew have the responsibility that Molly hears the fullness of the scriptures, the entire story, the faith of our fathers and our mothers, that Jesus came to save us all and died and rose again for us. That is what happens in these few moments. And I'm so glad you could be here with us to pray and to give thanks for God and his wonderful grace and salvation in Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the support the show link under the contact us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the email newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church. Simple church, ancient truth, real people, new life.